Hey everybody, this is Brad Williams and I am the pastor of B4 Church. Welcome to our podcast. My prayer is that this would help you behold God, that you would see him for who he is, that you would belong to community, that you would be everything that you were created to be, and that you would be able to dream beyond the limitations in your life. So I hope you enjoy this teaching and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Hey everyone, this is Alex. And I'm Ashley. And we are your hosts of the B4 Podcast. We're super glad that you're here today joining us in our continued conversation on the issues of grace and the tension. Last week, we talked a little bit about cancel culture and how that's basically the antithesis of what um, God would have us to understand about his grace. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about the church being Mm -hmm. complicit in cancel culture even before cancel culture was Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, We started a series of these conversations because we believe it is important for us to know how to live in the tension of what we believe God says is right in a messy world. How do we love people um, that may think differently than us? And, you know, more than ever in the last year, Mm -hmm. we have had a lot of opportunity to put that idea into practice And what we talked about was the church has not necessarily been great at that. Yes. We have never been more polarized than ever, both within and outside of the church. And so we want to take some time. Last week, we talked just basically on the concept of grace, of that that is getting what you don't deserve. Um, And we are to offer that. God gives that to us, and we are to offer that to others. So you actually had a good example that you've been talking about. Um, yeah. of something that's happened recently as of the recording of this podcast. It's right. probably been a couple of weeks ago for those yeah, of you Yeah, for sure. There's something that happens all the time. So there's Very always true. something that we can look at. Um, and oftentimes on this podcast, we're going to be a few weeks behind. And not because we don't want to be relevant to the issue, but I think sometimes it takes a little bit of um, um, space, proximity away yes. from something for us and to take a deep editors. breath. we have editors. Right, right. <laughs> and we have deadlines and timelines and all those things. But I do think some space away from something that happens does give us a chance to respond better than in the initial moment, which we will actually get to a little bit later. But um, I was sharing a story with you the other day about, um, uh, I don't even know what genre of music. Rapper? It's like mark? rap, hip hop, country <laughs> music all meshed together. I had never heard of this person before yeah, it's last super, week. Super creative actually. Um, and, and really in a lot of ways is thought of as a brilliant mind in, in the um, entertainment industry. But his name is Lil Nas X. Um, Lil Nas X. Yeah, he is a um, pop artist, country artist, and hip hop artist mashed into one. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, he came out with these shoes to promote his new album. I don't know a lot about him. I don't know a lot about his music or his album, but his shoes sparked an uproar um, yes. in the world. That's, yeah. again, the only time I've heard about him was that he had demonic shoes. Yeah, and that's literally <laughs> the title all over the news outlets, everywhere, was that Lil Nas X releases the Satan shoe. Um, but it wasn't just him. Love it was name. right the, the perfect <laughs> name. And they're basically a pair of Air Maxes that Nike made, um, and they are black and red. And Wait, some, Nike didn't actually make them. No, right? they that's made the, the Air oh. Max shoe, but they did not customize them into. Right. That's a really. That's the controversy. That's the controversy. <laughs> yeah, Nike didn't actually create the Satan shoe. Nike created a pair of black and red Air Maxes, yes. where another company took them and sewed some different, you know, patches on them and added some human blood <laughs> and added some human blood into the shoe and some images of Satan, and they became a promo item for this guy's album. Right. So the controversy that swirled around this is obvious that a lot of Christians in particular, um, or even just more conservative people in our world, found it abhorrent. Um, They were angry. 
and uh, moved to initially cancel Nike right off the bat. Mm -hmm. We're not- Assuming that Nike had produced the shoe. Absolutely. And Nike did not produce the shoe. They didn't, you know, endorse the shoe at all. They're suing him over the shoe. Right. It would be no different from me going, buying a pair of Nikes and putting a cross on the back (laughs) of them and then saying everyone Nike made, you know, a Jesus shoe, shoe, (laughs) right? Or somebody actually did come out with a Chick-fil-A, the chicken shoe. Oh, nice right? With John 316 on it. It was great. It was a parody of all this. But um, the point being is that one of the ways that the church, and when I say the church, I don't necessarily mean like an organized church body. I just mean Christians, particularly in America, responded to this um, was really hard for me to process because right off the bat, uh, my newsfeed filled up with Christians canceling Nike, canceling Mm -hmm. this artist, and canceling anyone else who's associated with him. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by canceling, there was people who said, I'll never buy another pair of Nike shoes again. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, if Nike made it, maybe I could understand that. But yeah. it was like, wow, really? Like, <laughs> Have you looked into the facts of this story yet? Yeah, <laughs> that was, and, and because I, I literally caught up as, you know, people on my newsfeed were telling me all about the evil things that Nike has done it actually took me a moment to go, I need to figure out what actually happened. Mm -hmm. So when I dug into the story more and I really learned a little bit about where he was coming from in the production of these shoes, um, I discovered that his whole reasoning to moving towards an album that has some really dark demonic undertones and a shoe was because he said, all of my life, the church has said I was a devil because I'm gay. And I finally just decided to live up to what they told me I was. Mm. And when I heard that, everything changed about the situation for me, right? Like, I'm not endorsing a Satan shoe. You're not going to buy any. No, no. (laughs) Do I think it's a good idea to do that? No. Am I burdened that we live in a world where these things happen? Of course. And yet at the same time, the reality that the church from this guy's perspective, drove him to this place. Mm -hmm. It broke my heart. Yeah, I think learning more about somebody's story instead of just canceling them off the bat, even if you decide in the end, and in this case we would disagree with his actions of seeing him as a person and being able to see him with compassion and seeing him in the context of his whole life story to be like, how did you get here? You're not like... Yeah. Most of the time, evil, bad things do not happen in a vacuum. There are steps to get there. Yeah. And when you can understand those steps, you can actually see the people involved as human beings instead of just as an enemy. Yeah. Jesus, some of his final words are, you'll be my witnesses um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Like he's trying to tell the church, our job is to show the world who Jesus is. And the reason why the story burdens my heart is because the church apparently in this guy's life did everything but show him who Jesus Mm -hmm. is. Um, You know, I I am a firm believer that, you know, Jesus would not walk up to a man like that and and say, you're a devil. Mm -hmm. Because I look at the life of Jesus and he doesn't do that. He doesn't even say that to people who actually are demon-possessed. No, he doesn't. He actually doesn't. No, he's super kind. The only time he ever talks about Satan entering into or demonizing people are religious leaders. And Judas. And Judas. Yeah. Right? And he actually has compassion for Judas. Mm-hmm. Right? But, I mean, he 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 is anyone who's far away from him. Not only does he close the gap, like he not only gets closer to them, 
but he invites them to a life, a much better, richer life in him. Um, but he does that by loving them, not by telling them what to do. Yeah. I think that ties with something that we talked about last week, which was you can be right about something, but if you express your rightness in a way that it's not loving, you're no longer right. You're now wrong and adding to the problem. And in situations like this and in other situations where, you know, people have come out and even if it's just things in your own life of somebody doing something that you don't agree with, often your reaction, um, if it's not motivated by love, even if you are morally right, is not going to have a good outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I I think about Jesus who probably always had the moral high ground. Yeah. Right. Like perfect. In 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 a way, Jesus was always right. But he didn't walk around and tell people, act like that. I in fact, you know, one of the things that I was thinking a lot about was when Jesus encountered the evil in the world, what he didn't do was return evil for evil. Right. He Mm -hmm. if he encountered someone slandering him, he didn't turn around and start slandering other people back. Mm-hmm. There's this idea in the New Testament, um, and, and we pick it up in the story where Mary hears some you know, prophetic ideas about who Jesus is going to be, and it, the text says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways you can translate the word ponder is this idea of holding into tension the way the world is versus the way the world should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as she thought about the, you know, prophetic words of Jesus, and then, you know, that happened when he was a baby, like a child. And then she had to live in this broken world for a long time before the resurrection of Jesus happens, right? Mm-hmm. Before all these things begin to materialize. She had to ponder what should be and what was. Yeah, her expectations of what, you know, God had promised and the reality of what God had promised versus the messiness of where she was for the 30 odd years that Jesus was on the earth. Yeah. And I I think we're invited into a similar practice like that as the people of God is to hold the tension, to ponder the way the world is versus the way the world will be and should be. Jesus um, embodies what it tangibly looks like to hold the tension. Um, You know, you think about the picture of Jesus on the cross and he, in one way, is absorbing all of the worst things of the world into mm-hmm. himself, and at the same time, refusing to return those things back to the world in like kind. Ronald Rollheiser, who's a theologian, um, he said it like this, Jesus took away the sins of the world by holding, carrying, purifying, and transforming tension. That is, by taking in the bitterness, anger, jealousy, hatred, slander, and every other thing that is cancerous within the human community and not giving it back in like kind. Hmm. Where do you see that in the biblical text or like examples of what that might look like? Yeah, it's a good question because it's a cool idea, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it's a beautiful quote. Right, and it's a beautiful quote, but where did it actually come from? Um, I th- the first place we see it in the New Testament is um, there's a story where Jesus uh, is prophesied over by, um, I think his name is Simeon. And Simeon? Yeah. yeah. And uh, there are these things that um, are said about the future of Jesus and his life, but also what will happen to Mary. Mm-hmm. There's, a sword will pierce your soul also. Yeah, yeah. And the, the text says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, oftentimes when we think of the word ponder, we think of... I, thinking. Thinking, yeah. Like it's just kind of swirling around. It's that feeling we have when we're laying in bed at night and we can't go to bed. Yes. Because the thought just keeps moving in our heads. But 
Um, what I learned is that this actual phrase, one of the ways you can translate it is that um, instead of that process of churning in your head, it's uh, to actually hold the tension. That's one of the pictures, word pictures that comes from this. Mm. And it um, it's holding a specific tension, which is how the world is mm-hmm. versus how the world should be. Yeah. And then as you sit in that place, absorbing in how it is, Mm-hmm. but returning not how it is, how it should be. So right. absorbing anger, mm-hmm. but not returning anger, returning mm-hmm. compassion. Yeah. So like thinking about Mary, yeah. of she's standing at the cross at some point yeah. with Jesus, and she's been told when he's born, this is going to be the Messiah. So she has some expectations sure. of how the world is supposed to be, but she's looking at the world how it is. And it doesn't say that, and Mary was at the foot of the cross screaming profanities at the Roman yeah, centurion. Right. Like she's not joining like any the people. mother would want to do Right. She's moment. not even yeah. joining the people that are saying, call down Elijah and let him save you. Right. She's just there, like right. taking it all in, not doing much besides being given to John as a new right. mom for him. Right. Um, so maybe that, does that, is that yeah. kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, think about, think about it. It, the text goes out of its way to say that Mary stood. Mm-hmm. But it also, it like you said, it points out all the different things that other people were doing and saying, mm-hmm. but Mary, mm-hmm. right? So in a way, Mary is absorbing everything that's happening to her son, which is like, can you imagine? No. I mean, just, oh, you're watching your son being executed and everything inside of you wants to rise up and do something to mm-hmm. stop it. And yet- she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't return that evil for evil, you know. And obviously, Jesus on the cross is doing the exact same thing. So mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly the picture that we see. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that as we're thinking about, you know, as you were talking about the little Nos X thing and how, you know, you heard the story and you had some initial reactions, but it sounds like you kind of went through a similar process of, yeah. oh, like I want to dig in some more. I want to find out some more information yeah. where there's a time of you don't react to the news necessarily. Yeah. You took time to do some more research, to do some more reading, yeah. to ponder, to think. Yeah. And then now you're looking at how do I respond to this? And it yeah. sounds like your particular response in this case is, with compassion, yeah, which I think like, isn't that the process that we should kind of always be (laughs) going through? (laughs) I I think so. Um, And, you know, I learned this book knowledge like years ago, Yeah, but I actually like had to really practice this in the last 12 months of my life, Um, particularly after George Floyd was murdered. And I Mm. watched things just erupt all over the place. A lot of reaction there. Yes. Some response, Yes, but a lot of just like gut reaction. Yeah. And I found myself watching this unfold and wanting to um, tell everybody why they were wrong Mm -hmm. or like pick the side that was right. And, you know, I found myself in this moment needing to practice this idea of absorbing the tension Mm -hmm. and not returning in like kind. And so one of the temptations I had in the season was literally to mute everybody on my social media that I disagreed with. <laughs> That's a temptation many of us have struggled with. Or for myself, I just turned it all off. Right, right, right. And <laughs> I'm I, gone by. I, and I was actually in the process of doing that. I was like, let's deactivate. I just, I need to like pull away from this conversation. And yet I felt like the Lord was inviting me into a process to learn something about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one thing that I heard, and and it's probably not original, but 
you know, I, I was, there was one person, honestly, just one person in particular. There's always one person. Yeah. That what I, everything this person said, I was like, I just can't do it. <laughs> like, I just, I can't see him pop up um, on social media again. So I was like, there's a button that says mute this person. <laughs> For like 30 days. <laughs> yeah, that one. And I even figured, hey, if it was 30 days, maybe they would cool off. You yes. Know? But the Lord said, I want you to continue to read what he has to say until your anger turns to compassion Mm. and until you stop wanting to correct him and you start wanting to pray for him. And he became my crucible for spiritual (laughs) formation. Like, I mean, honest, like it was everything that came out of his mouth, I disagreed with. And I found myself later on just having a heart for this person Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and genuinely wanting God's heart for him instead of wanting my heart for him, which at the time wasn't very good. Well, I think that's a really common thing right now, especially with social media. Social media has allowed us to interact with people from a distance and to almost caricature the people that we're interacting with. So it's very easy to start dehumanizing people of turning a person, for instance, like there's somebody that I follow from back home that's like very far on the red side. And it's very easy to look at him and just be like, this is everything that is wrong with the red team. This is like... Now I've taken the person out of him and I'm only looking at his jersey, kind of what we were talking about a little bit last Last week. week. And I think in your example of the more that we can do, take those people and rehumanize them of remember, like, this is a person who's gone through certain issues. This is a person who's right about some things. They're not wrong about everything. Also, P.S. I'm also right about some things and I'm also wrong about (laughs) some stuff. So I have to be humble. Like. They're people, God created them and asking, even as we interact, especially with the hard people on social media, God, give me the eyes and the heart to be able to see this person like you see them instead of seeing their jersey or seeing their idea that I really disagree with or seeing their obnoxiousness or their emotion or whatever it might be. And I think the more that we can do of that, the more that we can be able to, that takes us into that pondering space and allows us to actually be able to have grace for people. What are, uh, Ashley, what are some of the ways that you see Jesus doing that? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think Jesus, first of all, is really willing to engage with anybody. Hmm. Like Jesus goes and talks to people in the synagogues and in the temple. Jesus is talking to Gentiles, yeah. people. Jesus even talks to people who are demon possessed. Yeah. Like yeah. he takes the time to interact with everyone and is willing to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more that we can replicate that the more we're going to be like him and the more we're going to be able to represent grace do you see jesus doing this (laughs) that was not a question to get you to re-ask me the same (laughs) question but you know as you're sharing i'm thinking about a lot of the different stories about jesus i think fundamentally one thing that comes to mind is jesus was never afraid that the darkness in the world was going to infect him Mm -hmm. like he was never afraid somehow that the leper's leprosy was going to get to him he or the prostitute sin or the prostitute sin or you know the tax the pharisees or the, self-righteousness yeah he honestly he was not afraid that the evil out there was going to infect him he was a firm believer that light extinguishes darkness and that's why he touches the leper when no mm-hmm. one else would right it's why you know he was told he was a drunkard and a glutton because mm-hmm. he hung out with tax collectors and sinners You know, um, he was convinced that the presence of God in him through his life 
would bring about the goodness of God to the world around him, which I think is why people were drawn to him. But it's also why the religious establishment at the time, they had lost their effectiveness in the world because mm-hmm. they did it the complete opposite way. Yeah. They were doing a lot of that dehumanizing of lumping people yeah. into categories and making making a person's identity based on something that they had done yeah. rather than how God created them. Yeah, yeah. And we're still doing that. <laughs> and, and that is the truth, is that we have to fight that temptation as a mm-hmm. church to, um, to not be putting people in a category, like you said, to dehumanize mm-hmm. them, um, particularly around the hot topic issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, labeling them as such and then basically saying that Jesus isn't near them mm-hmm. because the life of Jesus says the complete opposite. But Jesus is everywhere. Yeah. Jesus is with little Nas X somehow. Right. Yeah, and and like the whole story of Easter, which we just celebrated. Yes. Right, and Good Friday where Jesus dies for the sin of the world is that this crazy thing called the curtain in the temple that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, is torn in half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the symbolism of that is that instead of walls being built to separate people, those barriers have been torn down and they all have access to who God is. So what does that look like on a Tuesday? (laughs) That is a great question. Um, I used to drive by, every day on my way to work, I would drive by a uh, low-income community, Mm -hmm. um, an apartment complex that um, was lined with graffiti of every other day, uh, depending on which gang was tagging which. And because it was near to my house, there was this, temptation inside mm-hmm. of me to you had a little tension going on yeah there. to be like this isn't safe like yeah. these things are like it's too close to my family it's the danger of this and quickly all of a sudden the people that lived in this place didn't become people anymore mm-hmm. they they're became, a problem they became a problem they became a threat i started thinking about my home value i started being tempted to characterize this area as a problem right and one day i was on a run i was running past it and, um, and God, he messed with me as he does. And he told me, I see the, I don't see these people as people. I see them as a problem hmm. and he sees them as people, not as a problem. And I should be less concerned about my home value and more concerned about theirs. And I, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like more concerned about the state of their life, that there's eight people living in a single bedroom apartment, not is my house's value going down because they're close? What can I do to help these? So that was one of the tangible ways, like on my drive to work on a Tuesday, it presented itself. Um, so that could be one way. I mean, well, and that's very biblical too, because right. the Bible tells us, you know, pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. Yeah. So well, what is your enemy often, then? Yeah. yeah. Even also often, like we don't feel like, people on the other side of whatever issue it is are persecuting us necessarily. And we might not even categorize them as enemies in the way that we normally think of enemies. I think that like the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, Anybody that we would put as the bad team or the opposite team, I think that's a call to God's asking us to pray for them. And that's not, and we're not praying for them. I mean, it might start all this way of praying for them to be like us, but we're praying for the good of them. And as we do that, God starts to change our hearts and give us more love and grace towards them. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that in my own life. What what would you say is a practical example of how to live this out on a Tuesday? Um, I think one important thing is also just to kind of be open 
to people and mm. um, be willing to ask questions and find out people's stories. So like your example of Lanoth X, of you dig into the story a yeah. little bit more and you find out, oh, like this is where this is coming from. Yeah. And I think even I've seen that on social media that if, you know, people post the inflammatory posts of whatever the issue of the <laughs> yeah. day is, instead of just jumping on the bandwagon with, you know, your side or their side or why they're wrong or why you're right or whatever it is, yeah. of actually asking some questions, especially if, it, if it's an issue that's important to you of like, okay, like, how did you get to where you're thinking? And I, I don't mean like sneaky questions that are trying to like trap them. That's <laughs> like what we're the talking leading about. question? No, yeah. not a leading question, but like yeah. a legitimate question of like, tell me what yeah. you mean by this or... Yeah. Curiosity. Like, yeah, a cu real, honest, curious questions to yeah. be able to get into the heads and to get into the lives and to yeah. get into the stories of other people because it's <laughs> only when we see people as people that we're going to be able to have grace for them. It's very hard to have grace for an issue yeah. that you think is wrong. It's a lot easier to have grace for a person even yeah. if you think they're wrong. I, you know, speaking about, to your point about asking questions, like asking questions to lead them to what you want them to actually yes. say. My six-year-old called me out on doing that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. She was like, you're not listening. You just want me to say what you want me to say. And I was like, yep. oh. But yeah, I mean, that is so easy to do, especially when we say we have this motivation to want people to see Jesus. Sometimes the way that comes through is we want you to fix your life, mm -hmm. right? Like we want yeah. you to change your behavior. So I'm going to ask these questions, but my real motivation is I want you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is or whatever the issue yeah. is and not, I want you to, I'm genuinely curious about you and I do want you to know Jesus and he can deal with all that stuff. Yeah. Cause the danger is when we start asking leading questions to get somebody to change their behavior is now we're fixing them instead yeah. of allowing God to be the person well, that's yeah. doing the fix. Who is, whose job is it to change somebody's heart? Yeah. And if it is our job to change people's hearts, we're going to fail every single time right. because yeah. again, we're not, right. we're not naturally very loving or graceful, nor do we know everything that's going on in a person's life. So right. we're probably just going to end up making bigger mess. Yeah. Um, but when we ask God and we ask the Holy Spirit to help guide us in those things, it may be that we just need to be quiet. Hmm. Um, and that may be the best thing for us to do at a certain period of time, or God may nudge us to say something or do something, but we need to be pretty clear because again, like with little Nos, we don't want to make a bigger mess, yeah. um, and defame God instead yeah. of bringing glory to him. That's great, Ashley. There's so much more nuance to these conversations, which is why this is a series, yeah, we right? Get we get to keep it. talking about it and we hope that it's helpful for you. Um, we mentioned last week that there's been a bunch of questions that have yes. come in over um, a bunch of different issues, right? Yes. And we wanted to take some time to answer those. And so one of the first ones is from a guy named Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Um, Thanks Bill, for listening, Bill. Bill asked if, how can I trust the Bible if it says that the world was created in seven literal days, but science seems to tell me otherwise? Oh, that's a good question, Bill. That's a very <laughs> I thought good it was a great question. question. Yeah, I think... This is just from my own personal experience. As a college student going to a Christian school, um, I took a class called Theory of Origins that was taught by six different professors. One was a Bible professor, Dr. John Walton. And then there was a geologist, a chemist, a biologist, and something else, an anthropologist was in there. Anyway, it was the first chance that I had ever had to listen to people who clearly love Jesus, people who definitely love the Bible and believed in the legitimacy of the Bible, but people who were also 
dedicated to science. Yeah. And seeing how they wrestled with some of those tensions and the fact that they kind of didn't really see a lot of tension there and that they're like, the Bible tells us why things happened. Yeah. It doesn't give us minute details of how. Hmm. So that would probably be my biggest yeah. answer to that question yeah. is like, Yes, the Bible says that the world is created in seven days that it mentions, but also how are we defining day? Because we don't get sun and moon and stars until day four. <laughs> um, so do we know that that's 24-hour yeah. day or not? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, does it It does not change my faith in Jesus, whether it took God sure. seven days or yeah. whether it took him seven million days yeah. um, or 7,000 or whatever. I mean, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, there's a lot of details that we don't get. Right. And so, you know, I think we have to hold our ideas about creation relatively loosely yeah. as far as like we should stand firm on the fact that God definitely created it. Yeah. But it doesn't say, yes, God spoke it into existence, but how did that work? We right. don't a hundred percent know past. And then. I remember reading something that said, if God spoke and a universe came into existence, why does that contradict a big bang idea? Yeah. Bang. It's something came into thing. existence. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, exactly. And so not to say that it is, but to definitively say that it isn't, yeah. is limiting what God is capable of doing working through the natural world. So I think that's interesting. I think the other thing, and it kind of fits within the framework of our whole conversation, a series of conversations we're having, is that it used to be that the greatest leading minds in the scientific community were also people that were um, seminary trained. Mm -hmm. Like it used to be that the greatest thinkers, the ones that have kind of pioneered astronomy and geology and, you know, biology and chemistry also were deeply committed followers of Jesus mm -hmm. until the shift began to happen. And if you said something that contradicted shared ideas, like the earth doesn't revolve, the universe doesn't revolve around the earth, it revolves around the sun, the church was burning you at the stake. Mm -hmm. They were canceling you, right? Yes. And so over time, Christians stopped going into these fields by and large. And so I think even just recognizing that there's nuance in this conversation and there's a place for you in the scientific world is important. Yeah, and with that too, while you know, church has often canceled science, science has often canceled church, and science also is not infallible. It's made by humans. Right. So we hold loosely our ideas about how God created, but we also hold loosely our understandings of what science is telling us because yeah. you know people thought the world was flat several thousand years ago. So yeah, we hold all that loosely. Well, hey, we're going to continue to answer um, questions as they come in. They can be yes. about anything that you are facing, and we will do our best Maybe not to answer them definitively, but to provide a response yeah. to them. Give you a response, maybe a resource or something. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> John in the Walton show notes. this time. Yeah, John Walton this time is great. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Please share this podcast if yes. you felt like it was useful. Before we wrap things up today, uh, I wanted to, we wanted to make a quick plug for something that's happening. So we have Chrissy Hires here, who is our adult ministry team lead and is also overseeing women's ministry. So, Chrissy, what's going on? Yes, we are relaunching women's ministry here at B4. And to kick that off, we have an event on Tuesday, April 27th at 7 p.m. here in the main sanctuary. We're going to have a time of worship, and we have our good friend, Bo Stern Brady, joining us. And we'll hear a teaching from her, and there's going to be a time of community connection, hopefully You'll be able to meet some other women, make some new friends, get connected um, with some groups and ministries that we have going on. And we also have some really fun giveaways. So again, it's Tuesday, 
April 27th at 7 p.m. here at the church, and we would love for you to RSVP, and you can do that on our website under the events page. Yes, you can go to b4church.org events, and you'll see it listed there. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. As usual, if you have not yet subscribed to the B4 Church podcast, make sure you do that. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, or iTunes. Additionally, if you have a minute to take a second and just write us a review, that helps other people to find us, and we love hearing what you have to say about us, ways that we can improve, and things we're doing great. So we'll see you guys next week. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit b4church.org for more information. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can even take a screenshot and share it on social media if you like. Tag us at b4church. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.